This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. Luther, I think, gave us the formula for how to handle these things. It's to stand on Scripture alone and let the chips fall where they may. We're on the we're on the same side. We may disagree on certain theological issues, yeah, but, I, but I, we're I, on I, the I, same I, side. No, not at all. And, and look how nice we are each other. Yeah. No, I enjoy this and uh, appreciate all you do out there for the Lord. It's like you know what. What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Uh, we're not supposed to be lion sheep. We're supposed to be Bereans. And so just to, no matter who it is, this goes for everybody. Um, you're, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. I, I love watching you and I love hearing what you have to say. And I think you're a, a great blessing to the body of Christ. Okay, welcome everybody to this week's episode, or not even this week's, this is our second episode this week, uh, but Conversations with Jeff. And uh, before we get started, just wanted to remind you guys, make sure you guys are liking us on Facebook, uh, subscribe on YouTube, uh, that way we can um, you know, keep up with everything that's going on. We've got new podcasts rolling out all the time. And then uh, the other thing too is head on over to gatekeepersonline.com, create a profile uh, we're going to be rolling out some exciting new features on the website. Uh, essentially, what we're going to be doing as like a sneak peek is essentially creating our own social media platform. So no more censoring, no more anything like that with any like Twitter, Facebook, anything like that. It's going to be all GK people. You guys can interact with each other, private message with other GKers. There's going to be a lot of new exciting things we're going to roll out. So make sure you guys go do that. Um, but yeah, today we've got Sam Jones, um, host of the Shining Light Podcast, host of Wit Podcast. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, how, how many podcasts do you actually co-host right now? Uh, I I think just those two right now. Just okay. those two. I I mean, I love podcasting. So yeah, that that works out well. Thanks thanks for having me on, by the way. And you did forget one important social media that they need to check out. And that is uh, MySpace. They need to check out us on, on MySpace, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you know, if we, if we wanted to, we could probably do a full-on takeover of MySpace and then just, just see what happens. Think, yeah, like we, we could make MySpace great again. That should be our slogan. Hey, so. that, w- that would actually be entertaining because like, you know, literally all, all of the trolls are over, are over here on Twitter. So, you know, we head on over to MySpace and we, we could literally take the thing over. And I mean, you know, I did get really bored one day, and so I went over to MySpace, and I did see that you still do have a profile over there, Jeff. Yeah. So as long as you remember your password from, you know, 1974, you're, you'll be okay. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, there is that. Like, I think, I think it was a few months ago. Actually, I was, I, I actually was like, I wonder what happened over there. So I went over there, and I have no idea what my login is. I'm like, I, I can't get in over there. And, and actually, as like a sneak peek to everybody, I actually have music that used to be uploaded over there of some songs that I wrote and that sort of thing. And it'll list the songs, but then you go hit play, and there's no, actually no music. I think all of their data from pre like 2014 was completely deleted. So. You guys can all know the song titles, but you can't hear the music. Oh, man. You, you just want to sing us one of your songs real quick? I mean, I'll just put you on the spot right here on live podcast. I, th- I, mean, I think I think I'm good, honestly. I, I, you know, oh. I, <laughs> probably don't want acapella for me. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, you might be able to do it. So you Yeah. Know. Well, hey, at, at, at some point, maybe we'll, we'll roll something out, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but you know, I I did want to uh, talk about the upcoming conference because we've got uh, the Stand Against Marxism conference, and you and I are both going to be there speaking, and I think I think we're both going to be podcasting from there and kind of doing some other fun things and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, if if you can kind of like run down because I think you're more familiar with a lot of the speakers than I am, but just kind of like the rundown of what people can expect with that conference. Yeah, the SamCon. Yeah, I, I love that. They named it after me. Uh, yeah, it, they, it, that, that, that's pretty epic. You know, I think we should have shirts. It'll say hashtag SamCon, and you have to be wearing that from stage. Right, right. I, I think so. So uh, <laughs> uh, Friday night, there. it's going to start off Friday night, and I'm I'm not even sure on the dates. I think it's October 18th or and 19th, October 17th and 18th, something like that. Uh, but that Friday and Saturday, and it's going to start off Friday night, um, and – Steve Dace is going to be speaking there. Now, Steve Dace is on Blaze TV. If uh, Most people probably watching this aren't real familiar with Iowa, but he was on the, the flagship radio station in Iowa, started off as a sportscaster, uh, broadcaster, in, uh, called WHO is the radio station. And that's Ronald Reagan was on WHO. I mean, it's, uh, it, it is the, the place to be in Iowa if you're there. And, and he was by far had a really comfortable position as a sports broadcaster. And from what I understand, he, he gets saved, uh, and he's always was somewhat interested in politics, but when he got saved, it completely changed his worldview, and so he starts going and talking about politics, and they bring him on then to do a uh, political show, and uh, he had that, that there, and it's uh, politics from a Christian perspective, and it is an emphasis on politics, and I think that's part of why uh, it's a stand against Marxism, because this is uh, put on by enemies within the church, but it's uh, really looking at that idea of, of Marxism, and, and he's going to be speaking Friday night. Um, I'm a huge Iowa State uh, Cyclones fan. That's that's who Steve Dace covered when he covered sports. And then when I found out he's conservative, I mean that just you know really made my day. Uh, back when I was like 16, 17, and I found that out. And so he was one of the the very first broadcasts that I ever consistently listened to, and and still listen to him on a pretty regular basis uh, to this day. And so I'm excited for that. But he's on Blaze TV. He's been a nationally syndicated radio host uh, and is, I mean, just a, a guy that I would say, you know, this is a chance to hear a really good speaker. A uh, guy who's going to go and speak truth, uh, honor God, speak truth, and make money. That's his, uh, used to be a slogan there uh, at WHO. So that's that's what he's about. Um, and in those order, that order, too, is, you know, honor God, speak truth, and uh, which, of course, that, that does honor God. But uh, – <laughs> And then also, uh, then there's there's a list of other people. Uh, Trevor Loudon, if you're looking for a guy who studied out Marxism, um, I, I don't know that there's anybody who's done more research than Trevor Loudon. I mean, the, the guy is like a uh, Marxist savant. I mean, 
Uh, he just just knows just about anything there is to know about Marxism uh, and has studied those things out. And, and he was recently a uh, guest on the uh, Conversations with Jeff podcast, right? Yeah, just just it was literally, I think, was it last week? I get, everything blurs together, you know, now. But I think, he, yeah, he, I think he was on last week and we had, we had a great talk. Right. And I mean, just just a brilliant, brilliant mind. Uh, he's from from down south, the deep south uh, of New Zealand. So um, you can t- you even, can tell by the accent. <laughs> right. Well, and even if you don't like the message that he's going to going to going to give, you're going to like listening to it because, I mean, you could just listen to that. He, he could be reading the encyclopedia and I mean, you're just going to enjoy it. That's just a great accent right there. But no, he really does know what he's talking about. And it's a terrific speaker. I've had the privilege of uh, hearing him speak a couple times. Um, and then there's uh, also I'm completely blanking on who's going to be there. Well, well, you're going to be there, Jeff. So that's exciting. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there. I, well, I, and, and the interesting thing, too, is we've got a couple other people that have been guests on Conversations. We've had uh, John Harris will be there. Uh, yeah. Janet Mefford will be there. I mean, she's got her yep. huge national radio show. Uh, there's, yep. some, there's some pretty good people in the lineup. Yeah, and uh, uh, I, I don't know too much about him, but Bishop E.W. Jackson's going to be there, and he just actually picked up the uh, time slot that Janet Medford left at uh, is it AFR that she left her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that that's kind of interesting there, another now national uh, radio person uh, personality there. So these are going to be some big names, and they're all going to be in Iowa. So we're hoping the whole state of Iowa comes, all 250 of us will be there. Uh, so there'll still be room for if people want to come out of state and – uh, they can check out that conference, uh, I believe, at standagainstmarxismconference.com. Yeah, uh, I believe it's, it's, the, it's either the, that. I, th- I think it's actually standagainstmarxism.com. I think, so, I think it's the URL, yeah. Yes, standagainstmarxism. Uh, I'm not sure what I said there, but yeah, standagainstmarxism. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the interesting thing I find about this is normally when you think of Marxism and people speaking out against Marxism, you generally kind of get a view of somebody who's in their 50s at the earliest and mostly 60s and 70s. Uh, but we're going to have a number of young people there uh, speaking out against this because we see this impacting our generation and the future generations. Uh, you know, a, a huge uh, uh, mistake to believe is that communism and Marxism died uh, when when Russia uh, or when the USSR uh, fell. And that's that's that couldn't be further from the truth. But rather, I believe it was uh, Satan basically going and, and interweaving this Marxism and communism in uh, to the the myth of uh, that it doesn't exist so that more people accept it. Kind of that idea of when people don't believe that Satan exists, uh, he really can get a foothold. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, um, Screwtape Letters, really goes and, and outlines that well. Uh, and so, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, like the interesting thing is even like looking at like the history and like where we've been and where we are now. It's like for the for the for the longest time there was the that really big push of communism from like the international perspective, right? And mm-hmm. then, you know, we responded with extreme capitalism. And then mm-hmm. now we're kind of like coming back towards socialism. It's just this kind of pendulum that keeps kind of going back and forth, and at a certain point it's like what was the whole point of going extreme communism and then extreme capitalism? Was that all strategic to then bring us back to this middle, if you call it middle, socialism? Yeah, that uh, that Hegelian dialectic there, basically uh, going and presenting a, a thesis, an antithesis, or an antithesis, excuse me, and uh, then a synthesis that comes out from that, and that's basically what the what has happened and what we're seeing before our eyes. And the problem is with that synthesis is it's 
it's never to take us towards the right. It's always to take us back towards the wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I think, I think that like with that's, I think the important thing that about this conference coming up is that granted the majority of people are believers. There are going to be some non-Christians that are going to be involved or some like there's, I think there's like a Catholic and something like that. But I think that the, Mm -hmm. the key distinction is that we're all coming together to fight against cultural Marxism in general, because it's, it really is a political ideology that's infiltrating the church as opposed to strictly just a theological one, even though they are tying theology and their political ideology together. Yeah, well, Karl Marx's uh, great goal was to um, was to destroy capitalism and dethrone God. And so uh, when you look at this here, it's it has always been a religious and a political ideology of Marxism and socialism and, and communism and things like that, all, all those bad isms. Uh, it's always been the idea of both political and religious but today, uh, in our day and age, is really where we see uh, this really take root in the in, in the church, and it's uh, kind of a scary, uh, scary thing to a degree. Of course, we know God's in control, so in that sense, it's not scary. Uh, but it is uncomfortable to look out and see. And you know, the whole reason why I got asked to speak, um, the the guy who's put, putting the uh, conference on uh, called me up, and and he said, you know. Uh, we're looking for the, the smartest guy to speak, and he turned us down. No, he, he, they, they weren't looking for the smartest guy. They weren't looking for this. They weren't looking for that. But it was, he said, hey, I, I've heard about this book, Social Injustice, that's coming out, and, and I want you to come and speak. And and, and I had shared my chap, the chapter that I wrote with him uh, about this, and, and he wants me to come and speak on, on that chapter of social justice and the gospel. And so that's that's what I'm excited about, is that it's uh, this book that's opening up doors. And I think it's it's a book that many people are going to need to read uh, coming out soon. You're, you're going to tell us a little bit more about that, I'm sure. But, um, but I mean, this this is something that's absolutely uh, pressing in our in our day and age, and and it's great to see people coming together with a common cause uh, to fight evil, to doing all that we can to stand against the wiles of the devil, and uh, working together where we can. That's for sure. Yeah, well, you know, and and I think that part what part of the problem that I th- think that I've seen from a lot of the conservatives and the Christians in response to social justice is that I think we're constantly just responding to what the left is doing or what the progressives are doing or something like that. And then I think we end up going down all these rabbit trails and we get distracted as opposed to dealing with like the root issue. And and clearly I think that the one thing that the majority of Christians that are fighting against social justice miss is that it's actually compromising the gospel. Like they'll say in theory, oh yeah, it's compromising the gospel, but nobody ever defines how. And that's why I'm excited Mm -hmm. about like your chapter in the book is that you actually lay out, here's how they are compromising the gospel, and then here's the solution. Right, yeah. No, and I think you're hitting the nail on the head because I've heard that heard that several times. You know, so, uh, social justice compromises the gospel. It's against the gospel. It's against Christianity, and that's almost always. And I don't want to speak exclusively because I know plenty of people who who have gone out and and spoke the the truth of of God's word and explained some of these things. But a lot of times, that's where we leave it. Is oh, it's it's against the gospel, and you know the problem is is that we're not really giving them a true reason. We're not we're not reasoning with them. Uh, you know, when the Apostle Paul uh, was planting the church in Ephesus, uh, he started off in the synagogues and, and he spoke uh, with them and, and, and harshly and, and different things like that. And then the, the 
they didn't like it so much. And so he moved to the school of Tyrannus. And as he's at the school of Tyrannus, he starts reasoning with them daily. And reasoning with them isn't just pointing out, oh, something's wrong. It's also pointing what's right and, and how something is wrong. And, and I think that social justice really does whiff uh, when it comes to the, the gospel. It really does just absolutely changes the gospel. And, and one of the big things that I see is that it really focuses in on uh, the, the oppressor uh, or the one that is oppressed is a certain person in society that some fraction of humanity is the oppressed person in the gospel narrative. Whereas in the Bible is clear, Jesus is the oppressed person. We're the ones who have oppressed him through our personal sin, and he came and died on the cross to personally pay for our personal sins against God. Yeah, you know, and, and, I, th- and I think kind of going along with that, too, is I think what, what's been happening is that the socialism and cultural Marxism has been pitted against capitalism. And so what ends up happening is a lot of Christians are trying to fight against this socialist idea from the capitalist perspective, and I think it's kind of like digging our hole, and we can never get out because really that's just a symptom of the problem. The real mm-hmm. pro- the real problem is that it is changing the gospel. Be- in li- like you were just saying, is is like essentially what the gospel becomes is it save it's instead of saving ourselves from our sin, it's saving us from being oppressed by somebody else, and it's completely just right. like flipping it on its head. And I think that that's the threat, and it just seems like for whatever reason, Christians are getting distracted by all these peripheral things which need to be addressed and will be addressed in the book, but we still have to continually bring it back to the gospel because that's the root issue to all this. Right, and and you know, I, I do want to touch on what you said about capitalism because I, I think this is really important for people to understand. Uh, with you saying this, Jeff, you, you are a capitalist. You're one of the biggest entrepreneurial minds that I, that I know. You're, you, you've got your, your hand in a few different businesses and, and, and different things like that. And uh, so it's not that you're against capitalism by any means. Right. Um, but you recognize that's not the root of the matter. That's not the real issue here. It, it, it is an issue. I mean, don't get me wrong here. I'm, I'm a capitalist. I'm, I'm for capitalism. And things like that. But if that's where we take it and we just win back our pocketbook, so to say, but we lose people's souls, then we still fail, didn't we? Doesn't Satan still win if we end up with our pocketbook but lose people's souls? Um, and and that's that's where the problem is when it comes to uh, to social justice and the gospel. And social justice goes and instead of realizing that we're the ones who are put on trial uh, for our personal offenses towards God. Social justice puts God on trial uh, for for what he has done in the world, so to say, for the injustices that he has allowed. It, and though most uh, pastors, I, I would go and say this, most, most people who claim to be pastors and who are pushing social justice, they probably would go and say, well, that's straw manning. That's, that's not what I mean. But it is their logical implication, which is which is important to understand, an implication there. It's their logical implication that they're saying that God created an unjust world, and so we need to be repaid for that injustice that's happened to us. Because ultimately, God is the one who created this this world and, and is allowing these things. Now, of course, we, we know that, that the reason these injustices all happen, all come back to what happened in the Garden of Eden— and sin, and it's not God who is the author of evil. That's that's not where I'm going, getting at with this. But it is important to realize they're putting God on trial for his justice. 
rather than putting ourselves on trial uh, for our sin and being acquitted of that through the blood of Christ. Right. And, and again, it's just it's kind of like what happened in the Garden of Eden. Like everybody's deflecting away from themselves and trying to put the blame on somebody else instead of taking responsibility. Granted, there are actual injustices. And in the book, you know, Ken Peters tackles one of the biggest ones, if not the biggest one, which is abortion and mm-hmm. the, the right to life and protecting human life and that sort of thing. But I but I think the one thing that we do need to remember, like you were just saying, is that the whole reason why there is injustice is because of sin. Which then takes us back to the gospel. The root issue with all of this is uh, an improper view of sin and an improper view of the gospel. That's right. And, you know, people aren't going to—the problems aren't magically going to go away. In fact, I I mean, I'm I'm openly a premillennialist, and and I know you had Andy Woods on your— uh, your your podcast, so I, so I know that you're not uh, anti-premillennialist at the very least. So I think you're premillennialist too, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah. And uh, l- looking at that, I think the Bible is pretty clear. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And that doesn't mean we give up by any means, but it means that we fight where the real issues are, and the real issue is uh, the, the gospel. And we want to see people get saved. We don't want to just see people have their circumstances uh, get better. Though we, I mean, I, hey, I'd love for some circumstances to get better because there are real injustices. Now, social justice um, does bring about a bunch of fake justices. Uh, but we're seeking for people to get saved. We're looking with eternity in view, not just our, our temporary circumstances. Though I do think the best way to live is inside of, uh, you know, God's way. <laughs> and I think that will bring about the best uh, circumstances in our life. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the interesting thing, too, is like what you were just saying is, is about how as time goes on, things are going to get worse, not better. It seems like this social justice push is kind of rooted in the same philosophy as evolutionary theory. And that, and again, there's that polar opposite view of the evolution uh, crowd teaches that everything's progressively getting better. And we're, and we're teaching with creation that everything was created perfectly in the beginning and is getting progressively worse as we head towards uh, the rapture, the tribulation, and the millennial kingdom, like leading up to that point, right? And I think that yeah. that's the difference here is that, again, both of those circumstances are – and both of those views are completely anti-biblical. And I think that's, again, why we as Christians need to define our terms and make sure that we are – continually pointing things back to the gospel, but also pointing back to biblical truth just in general, because it's what, what we're going up against is so anti-biblical. Right. And, you know, this is, I, I, I've spoke out against the gospel coalition for about a decade now, and I'm, I'm, I'm 27. So I was speaking out against the gospel coalition when I was in high school. I, I remember having conversations with my friends saying the gospel coalition is is wrong. And, and there were some really good people in the Gospel Coalition then. I think of like Vody Bauckham and, and people who I really, really like like that. I don't agree with everything they say, but, but I really do like them. And, and, and there were some, uh, some better things that were coming out of the Gospel Coalition then. And people were always confused why I said this. But the reason I said it is because, I mean, it was pretty obvious where things were heading with the Gospel Coalition that it was going to be headed towards this social justice because they were seeking to usher in a kingdom of God instead of recognizing uh, that it's Christ who will come back to set up his kingdom, and he's coming with a sword because he needs to clean things up. And uh, there, you know, that that's a, a pretty big conflicting issue, is that they start 
they started preaching and teaching about people's felt needs uh, instead of their real needs. And then it kind of morphed into this social justice thing, which is just a collective felt need uh, in instead of a specific felt need, uh, which was before. And and I think that's where they, they really started to err. And I don't mean to just sit here and bash the Gospel Coalition. There's plenty of other organizations I'd love to bash. But uh, <laughs> but they're right now a huge uh, pusher of uh, of social justice. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, but I, th- I think that the key thing about the Gospel Coalition is that they're the biggest and most influential organization that – and the key distinction is they should know better. And that's the thing oh, is yeah. because they're supposed to be the ones that are rooted in scripture. They're supposed to be the ones that are promoting the gospel. But instead, what they're pushing is this leftist progressive political ideology. And again, these guys, like guys like Vadi, guys like Al Mohler, guys like, I mean, even Piper, like these guys should know better. But for whatever mm-hmm. reason, they either are naive or they know exactly what they're doing. Right. Exactly. Uh, and, and that's a, that, that's a big problem because, uh, you know, to, to whom much is given, much more will be required. And uh, the Gospel Coalition, I mean, make no doubt about it, they've accumulated uh, some of the greatest minds uh, that are on the planet today. Okay, these guys aren't uh, dumber than a box of rocks. Some of them are. Uh, but, but a lot of them are very brilliant guys. And, I mean, they've got degrees. They've done plenty of study. They've, they've done all this kinds of thing. And they're leading people astray. And, unfortunately, while they're – at the very least, because uh, because I, I understand that there are some that are very openly pushing for social justice. There are others that are more just, um, you know, putting their arm around social justice and singing kumbaya with it. At the very least, they're they're doing that. They're they're accepting of social justice, but while doing this, they are compromising the gospel, and this will have an eternal impact, not just a temporal one, which is what scares me. Yeah. Now, now, what do you say to? To somebody who, like, let's say it's a pastor or somebody that's associated with the Gospel Coalition, where they're, where they're gonna say that, well, we're preaching the biblical gospel, but we also think that we need to push this social justice stuff to, to rectify the problems with systemic racism and open borders and like all these different things, right? So they're saying, like, when I preach the gospel from the pulpit, from the pulpit, my specific words are true and biblical, but, I should still have the right to push the social justice in why do I have to be a capitalist, uh, conservative, uh, Republican in order to be able to preach the gospel? Yeah. So, uh, so the first thing I would do is, is ask them once again to define their terms. Cause I, I think this is really important. Uh, you push this a lot, Jeff, uh, make people define their terms so that we know what we're talking about. And when they start talking about these injustices, ask them what they are, because most of these injustices that they're talking about are, are hogwash. I mean, uh, you know, the big one right now is uh, racial reparations. You know, um, every white person is is a racist, no matter what, and it, which is just the most ridiculous thing that I, that I've ever heard. Uh, and I I was at a conference earlier this year that the the speaker, the the main keynote speaker, got up and said, um, "White evangelicals cannot lament." And the context was, because of our race, we can't lament because of what we've done. I mean, it's. It's a ridiculous thing. Um, no doubt there is racism out there. That's something that we do need to understand. There is racism, but it's not a systemic racism. It, our society is not uh, prejudiced against um, against a certain race or or against 
uh, our particular race and, and a particular race isn't raised up above the rest. We, we have a, a as equal of an opportunity as you can get is in, in the United States right now. And, you know, I, I love to go and use the uh, the example. I say, well, I'm pretty sure if you go and you look at LeBron James's kids, I'm oppressed uh, by your standard according to that because I sure don't have uh, LeBron James's uh, uh, salary. My, my dad didn't have a LeBron James's salary, and so I don't get that kind of a privilege. And, of course, they, they don't like that argument so well. They get really mad at you when you say that, and they'll call you a racist. But make them defend their position. Define their position and then make them defend their position. And then if they are speaking about true injustices, which the, the true injustices, I would say, really the one that comes to my mind is abortion. If they want to stand against abortion, hey, I'm going to stand there with them. Well, I, I preach against abortion all the time. If they want to go and say, though, uh, injustice, and I think it was, a, I, I better not say who I think it was because I can't remember, but there was a a Southern Baptist uh, seminaries professor, I, I think it was today, who uh, tweeted, or maybe it was yesterday, but this week, tweeted that um, from Joseph and Daniel, we can learn uh, that refugees are, uh, are, are valuable to society and that God uses refugees who so ought to accept refugees. Well, ask them what they mean by that and say, you, you know, Daniel chapter 1 says Nebuchadnezzar went in took them away, and by the way, it's pretty much implied that Daniel and his friends were made eunuchs, and then they were, you know, a blessing into a pagan nation in Babylon, and it was all because of God's chastisement. I'd say, do you see that's, is that, do you really think that's what's happening today? Um, Make them defend what they're, what they're pushing. Uh, Now, I, I don't believe that somebody has to be a Republican uh, to, to be, to be in, in the right. I, I can understand that. But they surely can't be a Democrat because Democrats come out against things that are, that are just basic biblical things, um, like traditional marriage, like, uh, like do not kill, um, with abortion. Uh, they just came out and said that they were the party, made a resolution that they're the party of the, the non-religious. I, I mean, why would a Christian want to identify with that? It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it really doesn't. It, you know, but but the interesting thing to me is looking at all like systemic oppression, right? That that's one of those things that is basically being thrown out there by the very people that are pushing actual systemic oppression. And so, like in my chapter right. in the book, social injustice is on income inequality, and the the thing that the thing that I discussed is, is going to be different than the way most conservatives approach the issue is that most conservatives say that there's no such thing as systemic oppression with, when it comes to like income inequality. They're like, that, that's hogwash. It's not legit. And I argue that it is actually legit, but it's being implemented by the leftist policies, by the leftist policies. Because you look out here in California where, where I live, right? There's the, mm-hmm. there's the biggest gap of income inequality out here in California compared to other states. Now, the question is, why is that happening? It's because we have such high taxes, and then we have the people that are in the lower incomes relying on the government for their welfare, for their housing, for their phones, for their medical, for their whatever it is. And if they get over a certain amount of income, they all of a sudden get all that taken away. So now people are being incentivized to stay poor so that way they can continue to get their free stuff, right? And so so in all reality, there is systemic oppression against 
minorities because they're trying to keep them in low income. There's systemic oppression against poor people because they're trying to keep them down there. Why are they doing this? Because it's a voting block. So if, right. if you're going to take their actual uh, logic and you're, you're actually going to have these kinds of discussions with them, really there is systemic oppression. We need to acknowledge that. But it's not coming from from those of us that are pushing freedom. It's coming from those that are pushing for socialism and cultural Marxism and Marxism in general. Right. Yes. And, and, and I totally agree with that. It's uh, the what I was talking about when I'm saying, you know, there there is no uh, inequality in that sense. It's not in the sense that you can't go and find the statistics, but it is the idea of it's not because of our capitalist situation. It's not right. because of uh, these kind of things. It's the idea of because they become reliant upon the government. They want to be there uh, because it's the only thing they've ever known. And and that's the, the thing of if they had incentive to get out of it instead of incentive to stay in that uh, that oppression, so to say, or, or not, not oppression because it, uh, it, it's that incentive to to stay within their uh, their low inequality or their, their low income or, or whatever it is. Uh, then that's where it is because it's the oppression coming from the left. I mean, which is which is what the the left has always been. They're the they're the party of Jim Crow. They're the party of the KKK. They're the party of of all these things. They're not the party of Abraham Lincoln. They're not the party of John Quincy Adams, uh, the famous abolitionist. They are the party of of racism, and and they haven't changed. They've just changed their their tactics in in racism. Yeah. Well, well, and also like the other side of it too, when it comes to the Democrats specifically, and you know, we can, we can go down the entire list of presidential candidates. Like basically what, what it comes down to is this idea that people in this, and again, this is coming from them, not from, not coming from, from the right, but it's this idea that people of color are inferior to those of us that are Caucasian. So thus they need the handout is really what it, it, it all of this comes down to like for those of us on the right we're pushing this idea that everybody has potential if you want to make yourself better and create more income go start a business go get a job better yourself take responsibility and do something with yourself right but then what's right. happening on the left is they're saying you can't do it because you are systemically oppressed because of the color of your skin and because you don't have the same kind of talent, you don't have the same kind of education, you physically can't do it, so we have to give you stuff in order to help you out when it comes to your oppression and that sort of thing. So really mm-hmm. even their even their things that they're selling to to their constituents that Look, we're trying to help you. What it is, it's it's this actually like this racist mentality of we're going to keep you down because you can't do anything on your own. Right. Exactly. Now, I, you know, this is this was an idea I had this this morning, and I, it might be a stupid idea here. So this is hot off the the, the press of my mind. So if it's let, a stupid let, idea, let's then you're test listening it out. out there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just that's fine. Um, you know why? Uh, why evil or, or why Marxism? Because we're doing the Stand Against Marxism conference. Why Marxism is, is such a hallmark in, in what's what's wrong and, and where evils uh, has taken place? Because there's there's multiple things here. You know, evil existed before uh, before Marxism, of course. You know, evil started there when when Satan fell. He said, "I will," and I will be like the Most High. And it's funny because it, it got him kicked out of heaven. He went lower because. Uh, because of that, and 
and things progressed and there was evil before there's evil uh today there there's been evil all between all in between but marxism it was kind of a hallmark where evil became an art uh it, it was one of those things where all of a sudden instead of uh going in in having a leader uh go and in in lead in evil because there were evil nations before marxism uh, lots of evil nations before Marxism. It, Satan would go and, and have these these evil leaders set up. They would go and, and push this idea of evil, and then the people would you know be under this this evil. But the problem is is that if one person starts starts proclaiming the word of God, you know, look at Nineveh as an example, the the whole people can repent. And so I think what what Satan kind of started to think was was how can how can he make this an art? And, and get people distracted so that they never think about real repentance. And he goes and he puts the, uh, through Karl Marx, this idea of um, the, the haves and the have-nots, the, the, the bourgeois and the uh, proletariats, and they'd come and they would, they would hit one another and, and go against one another, and you're constantly, there's always going to be people who are in the upper part of society, always people in the lower part of society, and so they're always going and, and attacking one another, and they're so busy trying to flip-flop these things and so busy going and, and implementing these these evil ideas of, of socialism, of taking and coveting and, and stealing and all these kinds of things and giving to other people that ends up what's happening is people get distracted, uh, people get confused, and they never have a chance to focus in on repentance, never have a chance to go into focus in and see that it's their sin that's the problem because they're always going and pointing their finger at somebody else. And so I, I think that since Satan kind of implemented that, it's it's gone uh, gone kind of crazy, and he's really used that. Now, America wasn't ready uh, to fall yet. We still had too much Christian roots. The church was too strong in America um, 50, 60 years ago. But he started going and, and implementing, started going and hitting the seminaries, pushing these ideas, going in with small changes. Instead of going and taking a, a battering ram at the church's door, he went and took it off brick by brick uh, from, from the wall that was created around. And now, though, today, we're hearing that battering ram as it's pounding against the gate of the church. And really, actually, it's already inside the church, a lot of it, hence enemies within the church. Uh, documentary who's who's hosting this uh, this conference, but we we look at this idea and and this is why it's so important to fight this idea is because it's getting people distracted where they're not seeing their actual personal sin against God and so they're not coming to a repentance. Does that make any sense or am I or am I a little bit out in Looney Land here? No, I th- I, th- I think it's making perfect sense because because. Again, what we're what we're seeing over the last several decades that's leading up to this point where we're at right now has been a completely different focus and a different strategy than what we've seen in the past. And I and I've mentioned this to guys like Andy Woods and some other people. We're talking about eschatology, but I think it kind of applies here mm-hmm. as well. Is historically we've always seen uh, the the focus on conquering the world by Satan was through empires. You had the Babylonians, you had the Greeks, you had the Romans, more modern, you had, you know, the British Empire, you had Nazi Germany, you had whatever it was. And they would always get close and God would always say, okay, it's not time yet for the one world, you know, kingdom. So we're going to, you know, cut this out and you guys can start over and try again, basically, is what it Mm -hmm. came down to. But this is the first time where we're seeing this completely different mindset of instead of trying to conquer the world from the outside, we're going to try to conquer it from the inside. 
And so I think that right. that's why this is so dangerous is that the the threat is a lot more subtle. It's not obvious. It's, you know, it's not it's not like that guy's a heretic, that guy's a false teacher, that guy's trying to take over the world. It's it's well that guy's he's he's good theologically. So why why can't he, you know, be against the second amendment? Why can't he be for open borders? You know, like that's more loving. It's it's this subtle change in theology and and even political ideology that is so dangerous. Mhm. Yeah, and it, you you know, and that's one thing that I do think it's important to understand cuz you mentioned this here, you know, well that's the the loving thing to do. These these people, a lot of them who are for social justice, who are for really, I just can call it what it is, Marxism in the church, they're not poorly intended. A lot of them are well intended. Now, of course, the, the old saying goes, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, these people are good intended. The problem is, is that they've bit hook, line, and sinker into a false agape love. Uh, and, and this, really, the framework was laid by a guy by the name of Joseph Francis Fletcher uh, in his book, Situation Ethics, who went and made it so uh, the, the highest ethical standard uh, was love. Now, that sounds great until you realize that he's talking about a love for self that reaches other people. And the problem is, too, is that it, it doesn't look at the question of what's right and what's wrong it goes and it asks the question, what's loving, to decide what's right and what's wrong. And the problem is is that I, I believe God's, uh, God's holiness is uh, encompassing of his love. Uh, it, it's the thing that, that, that holds his love there. If you, if you go and you do something uh, that, that feels loving, so to say, or, or feels nice would maybe be the right way to put it, uh, but violates one of his standards, then it's not loving. His, his love is always uh, encompassed with his holiness. Right. Well, you know, and, and again, that's even one of those things that comes down to loving somebody is doing the right thing because you want what's best for them. Right. So like if you, if you take right. like a drug addict, you take somebody who is addicted to whatever it is you want to say, right. You could love them so much that you're now enabling their sin. Thus, you're no longer loving them. You're hurting them because because you are helping them to destroy themselves. And that's the parallel that I'm seeing with the church right now is that these pastors, especially from the Gospel Coalition, and we're seeing this in like the Southern Baptist Convention and a few different places, is it's like they're so loving that they're no longer loving people because they are enabling sin. You know, mm -hmm. like, like even take illegal immigration, right? People that are entering into our country illegally are breaking the law. Thus, they are sinning. But right. these leaders from the Gospel Coalition and other organizations, they're coming in and saying, we can't kick them out. If that's not loving. Well, they're not, they're not loving and we're not loving by allowing them to break the law. Like that's, right. that's, I think, the distinction that we have to make is that sometimes love is not always being nice and just having our arms open to hug them. It's sometimes it's saying, look, you sinned, you're wrong, now you have to pay the consequences. Right. And, and, you know, one of these that I think one of these situations that you can see this this played out, too, is in the, the same sex attraction thing. Uh, people are going and pushing this narrative of you can be same sex attracted. You can be same sex attracted. It's good. It's fine. Uh, just be celibate. Now, first of all, the Bible does talk about uh, the gift of singleness and, and celibacy, um, but it's not with the desire for uh, an ungodly desire for the, the same sex. It's, it's a specific gift uh, that is given to someone. Um, and it's not an unholy gift. It is a holy gift that God gives to someone. 
But I, I think of an example of uh, actually another speaker who's going to be at this this conference, uh, Pastor Kerry Gordon. Uh, he he got up and he's very outspoken against homosexuality. Now Kerry is one of the Pastor Kerry is one of the the most loving men I know, and that's interesting because everybody goes and they they say he's a hater, he's a hater, he hates all this stuff. Well, well one day uh, the news media there, the local news media, was pretty pretty confused uh, because Westboro Baptist Church came to protest uh, his church. And it was because he was too soft on homosexuality is what they're saying, because he was giving room for repentance. He's saying, this is what's best for you. We love you, things like this. This is why we want you to repent from homosexuality. And and the news media comes up and they, they ask him, they're like, what? You know, like, like, what do you have to say about this? And they're just confused. And he goes and, and he says something that I think is vital to remember. He goes, we must remember God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. Satan loves the sin, but hates the sinner. And Westboro Baptist Church hates both the sin and the sinner. Uh, and, and so essentially in, in one way, in one sense, was saying that Westboro was, was kind of like worse than Satan in, in, in a somewhat of a degree, but not, not really. Uh, but look at, looking at that, I think that's the important thing that we need to remember is that we're not sitting here speaking against sin out of a hatred towards people. We're speaking against sin because we love these people. And this is what's best for them is to live inside of God's will. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's one of those things too, where I think that a lot of times Christians can go too far of hating the sin and hating the sinner. And I think mm-hmm. that that then becomes the issue is that a lot of times our tone of being so strong on our positions that we are not loving them at all pushes them away into a lot of these other areas like social justice and cultural Marxism and that sort of thing is because we're not combining our proclamation of the truth with actual love for that person of we actually want to see you succeed. We actually want to see you receive eternal life as opposed to the people that just go and yell with megaphones and just you know, I, you know, I, I could quote so many pastors that say some like horrific things to insult people. And it's like, that's not how we're supposed to do things. That's not what Jesus did. Like Paul went, like what you mentioned before, he went in and reasoned with people that were worshiping false idols and false gods and essentially demonic activity. He went and reasoned with them, trying to bring them to Christianity. And I think that that's kind of the mentality that we need to have as opposed to just the Westboro Baptist or even just like a shade closer than that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And to speak about that reason, uh, like where Paul was reasoning with them, it's this idea that he literally was debating them. So he wasn't compromising the truth, but he wasn't living in ad hominem land. And that's, I think that's the important thing to to remember is that it it is unreasonable uh, to be spouting off ad hominems, but it's it's perfectly reasonable and and good to speak the truth. And, And that's where where I think a lot of these people go and and find that that wrong uh, area to live in is that they, well, it's we, we see it first in in politics. What happened in politics? We're seeing in the church today. In politics, uh, we go out and we want to see owning the libs, okay? And, and and hey, I I've been there. I've done that. Sometimes I still fall into that. It's really fun to go into gaslight people and just to to throw a dart at them. Okay? And, and I do, and I do have to say, all those videos titled "So and So," you know, destroys a liberal. They're, they're, they are pure entertainment. Yeah, exactly. I, I 
I love watching Ben Shapiro destroy liberals, okay, or destroy social justice warriors or whatnot. Right. Um, but our goal isn't to destroy these people. Our, our goal isn't just to own these people uh, or to own the argument. Our goal is to, to own the truth and present the truth to them. Now, sometimes it is difficult. And, there, and I will say there, there's, some good, uh, there's some good sarcasm throughout Scripture. Okay, I mean it's it's not like uh, it's not like it, it was all just just fine and fluffy and things like that. I mean, when Jesus goes to the to the Pharisees and he says, you know, you you whitewash tombs, uh, he he was being pretty rough, but there, there is a line to be drawn there between the goal of just going and in, in in screaming and yelling and in in nailing somebody and going and trying to win them for Christ. Uh, th- there are times to nail somebody. But normally it's after uh, loving uh, attempts first. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, think, I think the other side of it too is that sarcasm is basically a way to, to make your point by taking an extreme stance, right? So when Jesus was – Jesus, when he was saying you guys are like white, whitewashed tombs, yeah, sure. That was sarcasm. He, t- he took something that was basically extremely insulting to the Pharisees, but he was making a point. It wasn't just a – yeah, well, you made an argument, so I'm just going to try to destroy you and insult you. It was making a point. Look, you guys are acting one way out on the outside, but inside, you guys are fully dead. Like, that that's the point that he's making. And I think that that's where sarcasm can come into play here is that you're essentially taking their argument and then taking it to an extreme or, like, an absurd thing, but you're making a point. And I think that's the key is, like, when we as Christians, we can use sarcasm, but we also need to make sure that we're doing it to actually make a, a point theologically or philosophically or whatever it is, not just because we're upset because somebody made a counter argument. We don't know how to respond. So we're just going to de- try to destroy you. Right. Exactly. And that, and that's why I think, uh, especially in a personal sense with, with a Christian, it's, it's a really good strategy to start off by asking questions, uh, with the other, the other person when engaging, ask, ask them questions. Because a lot of times if you ask, uh, questions about what they're saying, they're, they can see their own argument unravel before them uh, with, without you ever having to make an, asser- an, an insertion uh, whatsoever. And, and so, I, you know, I think that's one of the best things is to ask questions. And, and then if they still don't see it, then it is time to, to start moving forward a little bit. Yeah. Well, it, it, and I think I think the other thing that I think that we can learn a little bit from Jesus as well and how he did his ministry was that I feel like today there's, you know, obviously we have this celebrity pastor worship, right? And so everybody's yeah. just worshiping their favorite, you know, pastor or whatever it is. But when when we look at how Jesus did his ministry, the majority of his ministry was a public confrontation of the religious leaders of his day. And, and the reason was is because those guys had the most influence that were leading people astray. And I think that we as Christians need to remember that all these guys that are pushing social justice and cultural Marxism inside the church, to me, are the equivalent of the modern-day Pharisees. They are leading people away from the one true gospel. And so I think that what we have to do as believers is we need to expose a lot of these guys for their false teaching, for even their comp- their compromising on the gospel. And the reason isn't just to destroy them. The reason is to save the people that are following them. And I think that that's something that it's not popular today. And, you know, we always get accused of, you know, you're just hating on so-and-so. You just don't like John MacArthur. You just don't like John Piper, Al Mohler, whatever it is. 
But the thing is, is that a lot of these guys, they are leading people astray by their subtle changes in the gospel and theology. And that's why we do have to continually expose these guys for the protection of the church. Right. And, and, and to go along with that, uh, the book of Jude really does uh, hit on uh, and touch on this. Um, in uh, Starting in verse 20 of, of the book of Jude, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up uh, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Then it says in verse 22, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And and basically it talks about there are two different ways uh, to, to reach someone for Christ. One is by having compassion, and the other one is hating the garment, even defiled by the flesh, and, and snatching them out of that fire. And uh, the, But it says to go and to make a distinction. Now, how do we make a distinction? We make the distinction just the, the way that you're presenting it. Uh, those who are followers, those who, who aren't teachers, or those who are maybe confused on the idea, we have compassion on them. And, and we keep bringing this this forward to them. We keep We keep just constantly bringing up the truth, bringing up the truth, bringing up the truth. And we do it in a very compassionate, loving way. But then there are those who have their minds set, and they're teaching the opposite, and they're leading people astray. These are the the heretics. These are the ones that Jude is saying contend uh, for the faith uh, for at the beginning of Jude. And, and he goes, and it says, make a distinction on them, snatching them out of the fire, hating even the garment that's defiled by the flesh. Uh, this idea of snatching, what it's talking about, is very much like a thief uh, coming on somebody on, on the road. It's it's almost in a sense, and I'm not I'm not advocating violence, so understand this. But it's a it's a violent terminology. It's this idea of it's it, it's the idea of like grabbing somebody by the shoulders and shaking them almost. You know, just coming in and, and really just doing a, a quick pop uh, on these people. And I'm not saying going and popping people, grabbing you by the shoulders, but I'm saying in the way that we speak, sometimes it ought to be kind of a two by four that hits them, and they're like, "Whoa, I can't believe you would say that. That you would think that I'm a." Uh, a Pharisee, that you would think that I'm a, a whitewashed tomb. Um, but that's what it's saying. And it says hating even the the, uh, the garment that's defiled by the flesh, that word hate, its, um, its antonym is that agape love. And so it's that idea of almost, an, if we're going to view uh, agape love as an unconditional love, it's this idea of we're unconditionally hating the, uh, the, the false teaching that they're presenting. Uh, and so we don't even give room for it, and we're we're snatching them away, and we're we're sitting here going and just trying to pull them to Christ in, in a very strong manner. Yeah, and and I think and I think that part of the problem that we're having with going up against the social justice warriors and the guys the, and the guys that are pushing this uh, theology and ideology and that sort of thing is that we're all splintered off. And, and the people on our side are not willing to draw a line in the sand and separate from those that are pushing this. And we saw that with Shepherds Conference. We see that with a lot of the different ministries that are out there that have supposedly been leading the way on social justice. But when push comes to shove, it's like these guys are not willing to actually make that clean break and publicly confront these guys because they because they're accused of not being loving or you know going against their friends or you know we have so much respect for so and so because they've spent they've written so many amazing books or whatever it is but i think that the struggle that we're having right now is this idea that as long as we don't make a clean break 
there is no separation between us and the social justice warriors. As long as we're not willing to draw that line in the sand, we're giving credibility to these guys that are still speaking at Together for the Gospel, that are still speaking at the Gospel Coalition, that are still speaking at G3 or whatever it is. Like, we need to draw that line in the sand and we're not. Thus, it's, thus it's basically allowing them free reign to do whatever they want. Right. Uh, it, it was Henry Parsons Crawwell who uh, was the, uh, I believe, founder of Quaker Oats. He was a, a committed uh, Presbyterian, in, in a, which is where the, the fundamentalist movement uh, started, was in the Presbyterian Church. And, and he was very close to that movement. And uh, he, he gave this sentiment here. I'll, I'll paraphrase what he said because I'm not sure if I can uh, quote it right off the top of my head. Uh, but he gave this idea that he said it's not – the uh, the modernist who will undo f- fundamentalism, and it's not the fundamentalist who uh, who sympathizes with the modernist who will undo fundamentalism. It, it is the fundamentalist who uh, who compromises with the fundamentalist who sympathizes with the modernist uh, who will undo fundamentalism, and, and and that's where where I see today the big problem is just like you're saying with. With Shepherd's Conference, uh, John MacArthur made that that infamous statement, and, and and I know we're known as the John MacArthur haters. I, I I could pull out you know John MacArthur's commentaries here. I'm I'm not a uh, I'm not saying that he's never said anything good in his in his life. That's, hey, that's hey, not where... uh, my my Bible that I still read on a daily basis is still the John MacArthur Study Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's it's funny, uh, but. But he made that infamous statement that I'll fight error, but I won't fight my friends. Uh, you, you know, he would have been a hundred times better if you'd have just simply flipped that statement and said, uh, "I won't fight my friends, but I will fight error." Because then what he's going to go and say is, what he'd be communicating is that I'm going to go after the error in my friend's life while still loving my friends. But, but here's the sad truth about what John MacArthur did at Shepherd's Conference. And this is where, where I would go and challenge uh, the, the people who have challenged us. I'll just name them by name here. You know, Tim Hurd, Fred Butler, uh, these kind of guys who have come out after us, the, the whole Badger squad on Twitter. I'm, I'm calling you guys out. Tell me how John MacArthur loves his friends. He doesn't. He does not love his friends. And the reality of it is, is that when he goes and he tolerates what, uh, what Moeller and Dever are doing, he is uh, going and saying that I hate you so much, I'm going to let you lead your grandkids to hell. That's what John MacArthur is saying. And that's what, what breaks my heart when I look at this, is that MacArthur is saying these people aren't my friends. I, I'm coming here saying, look, I love Mark Dever. I love Al Moore. I want to see them get this right. And I love their children. I love their children's children, their grandchildren. And I love the, the, the ones that are in the nurseries and the churches that they attend. And I want to see them get to, get to heaven. That's why I stand against social justice. And I will fight error. And I will fight these things. And, and I will stand uncompromising. But this is where John MacArthur failed. And this is where, where the people who are accepting of John MacArthur, and they're not calling him out. This is where they are failing because they're giving root to the social justice to come in and to corrupt the gospel today. And, and the key distinction here is like when we're talking about this is that, yes, you and I have a bad rap. And I'll say probably me, probably even a little bit more than anybody else on the planet of going after MacArthur, right? But the mm-hmm. key distinction is that I don't think either one of us would say we're, we're seeking to destroy John MacArthur. What we're trying to do is because I feel like we both think he knows better. 
We both think that he mm-hmm. has the intelligence and the the theological training and the theological understanding to know better than this because he exemplified the right way to do things at Strange Fire, although he took certain things to an extreme. But if you're going to draw the line in the sand that somebody's compromising the gospel, like the word of faith or something like that, draw the line in the sand, separate from them. So all any of us are doing are saying, so if word of faith was so dangerous, and then now you're saying social justice is the biggest threat to the gospel in your lifetime, why aren't you taking an even more extreme stance than you did at Strange Fire? And, and again, right. the goal is repentance. The goal is biblical uh, fidelity. Like that's, that's the goal in this. It's not just destroy MacArthur, destroy the gospel coalition, just destroy everybody. Right. And, and, you know, you bring up that, that famous statement that I wish MacArthur was known most for is that social justice is the greatest threat to the gospel today. Um, I, I believe that's in the introduction uh, that's, that's listed in, in a positive light in the introduction to social injustice. And, and uh, I'm pretty sure, and you can use it still if you beat me to it here, at the uh, Stand Against Marxism conference, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to be my introduction of saying I agree with John MacArthur on this. Where I disagree with John MacArthur is that it's like he's made the great statement, wonderful statement, and, and then he completely contradicts it. And that's all I'm, I'm sitting here going and saying is, is, is guys, if, if it is the – you have to say he's wrong in one of these areas. You can't say he's right in both. Right. Uh, and, and if you want to go and say that it's in the social justice thing, that's fine. I disagree with you, and I agree with John MacArthur in that area, that it is the greatest threat to the gospel today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, again, it, com- it comes down to consistency. And, and, th- and this has been my frustration with going up against a lot of these guys um, in this crowd and in, in this, especially within the reformed crowd is, again, I'm a Calvinist. I know you're, I know you're not. I know pretty much everybody else that I associate with these days is not. I'm like the lone Calvinist island out here. Right. But my frustration with my own theological camp is a lack of consistency. Like, where is the consistency in this? So, again, if you're going to say word of faith is, is was the most dangerous threat, and then now social justice is even more of a dangerous threat, what's the general principle? Because there is no general principle right now. Right now, it's this pragmatic deciding based off of who your friends are. So I come back to we need to define our terms. We need to define what is the general principle because right now there is no general principle. And this was my criticism of the same crowd dealing with the whole interfaith dialogue thing is up until it was James White, it was always bad. Don't do interfaith dialogues. If it was Rick Warren, it's bad. If it's anybody else, it's bad. But all of a sudden now one of our own does it. And it's like, well, he's good theologically. He believes in the doctrines of grace. So, you know, we can't criticize him for it for a different strategy. So what's the general principle? Is the general principle that interfaith dialogue is bad? Or is it that it's okay, thus we shouldn't have criticized Rick Warren for doing interfaith dialogue. Maybe we just criticize him for his bad theology. So again, I come back to define terms. Get down to the general principle so that way we all know how we're supposed to live our lives. But you guys are like these theological leaders and you refuse to define terms. And I think a lot of it's because they're scared of going up against their friends. Right. And and this is something I preached for years now, uh, and it's um, just a, a vital, vital, vital thing, and more people need to get it today, and that is uh, your actions prove what part of your doctrinal statement you actually believe. Now, th- this doesn't mean we're, we're going to be perfect uh, in, or anything like that, but what it's saying is is that we live out our real doctrinal statement. 
You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the hands move at the same time. It's that idea of we, we manifest what is in our heart through our mouth. We manifest what is in our heart through our actions. And when we go and we see uh, intellectually, a lot of these guys, like you said, they, they've got great doctrine. Uh, even if I disagree with some of them on this, I'd say a lot of them are within orthodoxy, but then they have uh, they have unorthodox uh, practice. And, and what does that mean? It means that they really do have unorthodoxy in their heart. Now, if they were confronted with it, because I, I understand, okay, we'll, we'll go James White, for example, on interfaith dialogue. I know this will get everybody rallied up. Hey, but, hey, uh, th- this this is all the art of podcasting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, we'll, we'll just take everybody off on this podcast. It's great. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, J- James White, it, it, I, I understand the draw to interfaith dialogue. I've gone over to to Muslims' houses before and eaten dinner with them and, and shared the gospel with them, okay? I understand having a heart for the gospel, and I understand this idea of, in theory, going and saying, well, interfaith dialogue is a chance for me to share the gospel. Sure, I'll do it. But then when somebody comes and they say, look, did you know this is how they use interfaith dialogue? They don't care what you believe. Yasser Qadi wasn't trying to convince you, James White. And by the way, that's the the whole purpose of a debate isn't to convince the other person. It's to convince the audience. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to get sympathy for their position so that they can get a step in people's minds. That's the danger of interfaith dialogue. And then it really complicates things when James White goes and says, Yasser Qadi's a, a mentor of mine and, and all this kind of stuff, which is just, I'm going, what? What are you guys talking about? But, I mean, James White's a, a presuppositionalist. Uh, that doesn't even fit within his worldview, okay? In case anybody wants to know who's a James White fan out there, that is just pure stupidity from James White, according to his own stance. But, I, I, you know, I look at this and I'm going, why, why are they doing these kind of things? And if they're confronted with them, James White, when he's confronted, told what the purpose of interfaith dialogue was, because maybe he didn't know to begin with. That's possible. But then he should have repented and been like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. The problem is, is that he didn't repent. He doubled down on his dumb action. So even if it was a sin of ignorance to begin with, now it is a willing sin and a repeated one. And that's a problem. That shows where his doctrinal statement, what his doctrinal statement really is. Yeah, and and, and again, it comes back to a definition of terms. What is the general principle? And and that's what that's what's been really frustrating is that nobody's willing to define the general principle. Because if there's a general principle, then we know, okay, interfaith dialogues are right or wrong. Let's define our terms. But you can't say, well, they're wrong. I wouldn't do it myself. But at the same time, I'm not going to criticize some somebody else who does because you know maybe it's okay for them. And it, it's like it's wishy washy now. It's one thing if you're like if you if you're just to say it's a personal conviction thing maybe, but even then the Bible talk the Bible gives us specific principles when it's when it's dealing with interfaith dialogue and how we we're not supposed to have anything to do with false gods or false idol worship or false religions or something like that. So why are we trying to compare and contrast not only our differences but our similarities as well? That's the problem with that. Yeah. But then bringing it back to this whole social justice thing. It's like, what's the general principle? If the general principle is this is a threat to the gospel, then why are we still partnering with people that are 
pushing the largest threat to the gospel in our lifetime. Like, where is the principle? And that's the frustration with this is that nobody's willing to define those terms. Right. And and I mean, to talk about interfaith dialogue, too, I've, I've attended a couple of interfaith dialogues that have uh, happened in our area, and I I wasn't a participant in them. They didn't ask me to come up on, on stage, but in both of them, they allowed the audience to ask questions. One was through a written forum, uh, which they did not choose to ask my question, which didn't surprise me. Uh, the other one was uh, through a uh, spoken forum, so I, I raised my hand and got called upon, which... It's probably a mistake on their part, but um, <laughs> I I just simply went and I, I brought a Quran with me because I've got a Quran. I've read through the Quran uh, before, done some study in that, and, and I just asked, "How do you deal with exclusive statements?" And and I went to John three or excuse me, uh, John fourteen six. Jesus said, "I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me." And uh, I went to uh, Surah nine. Actually, I got my Quran right here. Let me let me see if I can find that um, <laughs> that passage. Uh, Surah nine. By, by the by the way, you you know one of the trolls is going to come out with a meme that that says Sam Jones says you know let me grab my Quran. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they will. Uh, <laughs> uh, Surah nine one. Uh, Surah nine thirty. It says the Jews call uh, Yuzar, which is Jesus, the Son of God, and Christians call Christ the Son of God. That is a saying from the mouth. In this, they buy, they but imitate what unbelievers of old used to say. Uh, all is cursed beyond them. How are they deluded away from the truth? And so I go and I simply, simply read that verse and I said, how do they say this here? Because uh, the Quran simply says that Christians and Jews should be cursed because of uh, their, you know, their, their view of God. And uh, it wasn't received well, I would say that. I, uh, basically, the whole crowd kind of turned against me that, that was in this, and, and everybody on stage did. And, and, and that's – I bring this up to say if James White is really doing – or anybody. I don't want to just pick on James White. But if any Christian is really doing interfaith dialogue from a biblical perspective, the idea of uncompromisingly presenting the truth and then going and saying – there, there are no um, similarities between Christianity and uh, and Islam because there's not. There, there are no similarities, uh, any real similarities. It's not going to be received well, and you're definitely not going to be asked back. And and that's where I, where I look out and I'd say there is a distinction how we're to treat these things. We're to go into present the truth, and if you present it uncompromisingly, you're not going to be asked back. And that's that's the problem. Not that, like I said, not that I took part in interfaith dialogue uh but i had a I, I was watching and uh was able to ask a question and, and just a simple question of how do you deal with exclusive statements was not received well yeah yeah and, and i but but i think too is dealing with that whole james white fallout i think for me really opened my eyes to this whole idea of double standards and celebrity worship and yeah. it, it was like james white is so smart and he's so good on Calvinism. Thus, we have we have to rally the troops and we have to defend him, even when he's wrong. And that's that's the frustration is like we should be able to disagree with each other publicly and discuss and debate, just like you and I did on that f- episode of Fight Night. Just like you know, I'm sure we could do again over Calvinism. Just like I think we could do over a number of things. But the mm-hmm. whole, but the whole point is that. Don't be scared of disagreeing with somebody just because you respect them. Just, just like, for example, you know, I think I think Ben Shapiro is a really smart guy. 
Same with Jordan Peterson, same with any number of those guys in the intellectual dark web, but I fundamentally disagree with them on their view of God, of the Bible, of even some political ideologies and that sort of thing. Me publicly criticizing them or disagreeing with them is not me saying you're scum and nobody should ever listen to you on anything. It's be careful around these particular issues and then let's discuss and debate. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody needs to, maybe somebody needs to correct me, but you and I and everybody need to be okay with just because somebody disagrees with me doesn't mean that they hate me and doesn't mean that, that I'm scum in their eyes. Like we need to be okay with disagreement. And I think that's a problem that we're having in the church right now. Right. And and I'm sure I'll take some flack for this one too, not just for having a Quran, but, um, uh, one thing that that I remember just uh, about a year ago, I was reading some of my doctrine papers that I wrote. Okay, I wrote these things, and I was going, I disagree with that. Now, I, it wasn't something major, okay, and, and that, that's important to realize. If you got something major that you disagree with in your your own doctrine, there's probably something really wrong. And that doesn't mean if you do, you know, hey, repent and come to the truth. But it's that idea of we should always be growing, and none of us are right all the time. I mean, except for my wife, she's she's right all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, but but I think even going along with that too is like a lot of the guys in the MacArthur crowd that defend him will say, will will criticize anybody who disagrees with them theologically, whether it's on lordship salvation, on Calvinism, on cessationism, on whatever it is. But they're also ignoring the fact that John MacArthur himself didn't used to always hold those beliefs. He didn't used to always be an extreme lordship guy. He didn't always used to be a five-point Calvinist. Like, there's there's a lot of these theological issues that he had to grow into, that it took a long time for him to study, and he may be right, he may be wrong, but he, he's changed his mind. So, I, to me, I, f- I feel like it's very condescending to everybody else to all of a sudden act like everybody else should have their theology 100%, but your own, let's, let's say, idol or celebrity pastor has changed his view on things. So why can't we show that same grace to other people? That's right. Yep. 100%. Yeah. So, you know, kind of as we're closing up too, but I kind of want to bring it back to the gospel and I want to bring it back to, you know, your chapter in the book and that sort of thing. Cause that's really what all of this is about. We can all disagree with each other. We can all, you know, debate all these issues, but really it comes back to the gospel and so I think one of the things that I think we can look at is when we're talking about like an organization with like the Gospel Coalition and how they're supposed to be promoting the gospel. They're supposed to be unifying around the gospel. We can disagree on everything else, but we can unify around the gospel. But yet they seem to be redefining the gospel into this social justice, whatever it is. It's not the gospel. So how how do we as Christians and uh, and believers that maybe the majority of us aren't in ministry, you know, you're a pastor, I'm not a pastor, but how how are we supposed to combat this, you know, subtle change in what the gospel is uh, moving forward? Right. So, uh, so so I need to say first of all, I started smirking and smiling because I've I've seen people go and put comments before of like, oh look, when he's saying this, uh, he smiled, and so, um, <laughs> you know, that means he was all for, blah blah blah, had evil intentions. You know, uh, the reason why I started smiling and smirking is because as you were saying this, the only thing I could think about was one of those owning the libs uh, videos that we're talking about before, Ben Shapiro. And a social justice warrior asks him, you know, why shouldn't girls be in the Boy Scouts? And Shapiro goes and responds, it's in the name, Boy Scouts. 
you know, why shouldn't social justice be in the gospel coalition? It's in the name, the gospel. Okay. That's why right there. When, when you, why shouldn't we change the gospel and, and allow that in the gospel coalition? It's in the name, the gospel. Uh, but, but I think the best way to confront this, and, and this is why I started off the, the chapter um, in the way that I did, was I start off by examining the true gospel. And, and this is important to understand. When, when going and training somebody to seek counterfeit uh, bills, uh, you know, counterfeit money, they don't go and, and put them in front of a bunch of counterfeit uh, $100 bills or $20 bills or whatever. They go and they show them the real thing. So they know the real thing in such great detail and so well that when they see a counterfeit, they recognize something's wrong and they recognize that it is wrong. So the, the first thing that I would say that we can do in order to combat this is know the gospel. Now, the best place to start is 1 Corinthians 15 to know the gospel. That's where it talks about Paul delivering the gospel in which he preached to them. And it's that Christ died for our sins that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day to provide a way of salvation for us is, is what it goes in. It talks about there. And we, we look at this idea, Christ died. That's, that's a really important thing to look at. Christ died. And, and this is where, where classic modernism uh, started to fail was that they maybe didn't believe that Christ rose again. They denied the supernatural. Maybe they would go and say Christ didn't really die if he did quote unquote rise again. It was you know a it was a trick. He he was really living and sleeping in the tomb for three days. And they they denied that supernatural. And the modernists uh, went that way. And I mean you can see the results of that. It's just terrible in, in liberal theology. But uh, but then it says he died. And this is where I think that it's really specific. And the modernists got this wrong too. The classic modernists. But where uh, the social justice warriors, or I would say the, the neo-modernists today, uh, get it wrong, and that's Christ died for our sins. What is the purpose that Christ died? He died for our sins. He didn't die to go into to to save us from uh, or to give us racial reparations. He didn't die to go into to give uh, us. Um, uh, LGBTQ rights or, or wh whatever it is, okay? He, he didn't die for that reason. He died for our sin. And when we go and we realize that, we can start to hear how these people are changing the gospel. They're still saying the right components, uh, a lot of these guys. They're still saying, you know, Jesus died. Uh, he was buried. He rose again. But they skip out that idea. They might say uh, quickly, he died for our sins, but then they redefine what that means, they redefine what that means. And it's not a, a personal salvation for a personal sin uh, that we go and we, we see there. So the first thing I'd say is that we need to look at uh, to combat this is to understand the gospel well uh, for ourselves. And the, the wonderful thing is Jesus says, you, know, you have to be like a child to, to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's this idea of it's not complex. It's pretty simple. So when people start really making this complex, adding in all these other components into the gospel, that's a that's a red flag right there. It's a simple gospel, but to know the gospel well enough uh, to go into to go into see then the falsehoods, I think is the first step. Uh, another step is is to simply point out where people are wrong. Because if people don't hear that they're wrong, you know, some of these people I, I hope um, aren't intending to be wrong. I hope they're not malicious of intent. I hope that some of them repent and change their way. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though. And so we need to know the truth. 
uh, speak the truth. And then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Because either people will repent wholesale, or it's going to get pretty uncomfortable for those of us who do speak the truth. And so we need to be committed to staying inside the truth uh, with that. Yeah, and, and I think and I think the key going along with that is that we all need to be in God's word. We all need to be studying. We all need to be doing it and not relying on our favorite celebrity pastor or our favorite theologian or whatever it is, or even relying on you and I. Like, use what we're saying as a springboard for your own study and make sure that what we're all saying is lining up with scripture. Because the thing is, is that, I will probably lead you astray. You're probably going to lead us astray. I mean, we all know that all these Gospel Coalition guys are leading people astray because they've gained a certain level of credibility that basically makes them to where they can't be critiqued. And So I think that's one of the things that I think we need to remember is get back to God's Word. God's Word's the final authority, not your favorite pastor who has seminary degrees and got education and letters after their name. And I think that that's, that's an important thing that I think we as the church need to do better at. Right. And, you know, I've I've used this example quite a bit recently. So if, if people are, are going out there really following the stuff that I'm doing, whether it's through uh, preaching or whether it's on uh, podcasts or whatnot, they're probably getting tired of this example. But it's it's a perfect example. Uh, Deal Moody. And I, I don't remember the, the place, um, but he was was at a at a conference and people asked him to speak and somebody speaks up and he had Deal Moody had spoke the the, at least a couple of years previously. And this person speaks up and they said, well, why are we having D.L. Moody speak again? I mean, I've got nothing wrong with the guy, but do we think he's got a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? Which, first of all, that'd be kind of an awkward thing to say, right? Because I think D.L. Moody was there from what I understand. Yeah. But somebody goes and responds, they say, sir, it's not that we think D.L. Moody has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. It's that we think that the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. And, and I understand maybe, you know, D.L. Moody might have been a celebrity pastor of his day, and hopefully that, that wasn't the case, that uh, that it was, was down to celebrity and things like that. But the goal that we should have is that we should be seeking to, to have, that the Bible would have a monopoly on us, that, that we'd be living so much in the Bible uh, that it would shape our lives, that no matter uh, how much we respect or love or like to follow the person, that if they say something that we dis- that we disagree with uh, because the Bible says something different that we would agree with the Bible and not our favorite person. Yeah, and I, and I think and I think that that's that's the key thing that I think as as we're you know going about our lives and we're heading into this battle and we've got this conference coming up and then it's gonna you know kind of we've got the book coming out we've got kind of we're finally able to kind of define our terms train people that sort of thing but the key is. It's all going to get. It's all going to come back to God's word. It's all going to be come back, coming back to following the Holy Spirit and making sure that we are aligning ourselves with Scripture. Scripture is our final authority, not MacArthur, not Moeller, not the Gospel Coalition, not any other pastor. You know, everybody always says, you know, I'm a Piper guy, I'm a MacArthur guy, I'm a whatever it is. Paul addressed that directly. Like yep. we're, we're not yep. supposed to do that. We're supposed to be a follower of God and a follower of Christ. And I think that that's kind of our mission as we're moving forward into this battle, because this is going to be, in my opinion, it's going to be a long battle going against the social justice warriors. It's not going to be like a quick fix. It's not going to be like the emergent church where it's just going to phase out and whatever it is. This has been a long time coming, and it's going to take a lot out of us moving forward. So the key is that we are all principled, we're in God's word, and we're making sure that we are aligning ourselves with scripture and with God. 
That's absolutely right. So, um, yeah, so thanks so much for coming on. I'm glad, I'm glad we could do this. You know, we covered a lot of ground and I, but I think it's important that we just keep talking about this and hammering this home because like I was just saying, it's going to be around for a while. That's right. It is. So, um, and then also too is make sure you guys are, uh, pre-ordering your guys's copy of social injustice, which, uh, Sam's chapter is on the gospel and how social justice uh, ties into that. Uh, use the code SAM. You guys can get free audiobook of a uh, version where all the authors are reading their own chapters in their own voice. And then um, also make sure you guys go over to uh, standagainstmarxism.com and uh, register for that conference coming up middle of October. I know Sam and I will both be there, Janet Mefford, John Harris, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for, for tuning in. And thanks so much for coming on, Sam. I, I, I really enjoy yeah. this. Thank, thank you. And I actually hear that if you use the code Jeff, you can get uh, at socialinjusticebook.com, you can get a free audio book too. So I think people might be able, maybe should do that. Yeah. Well, I, I do hear though, to be fair, that the audio book version for Sam will sound better than the one for Jeff. I, I haven't confirmed that, but that's the rumor I'm hearing. So you know, I, I heard a rumor that if you use the code Dustin, it's it's the clearest uh, audio. I about said 4K, but that's it's definitely not in 4K because that's video. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever good audio sounds like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you, there you go. So, but yeah, definitely everybody, um, you know, head over there, pre-order the book, go, sign up for the conference if you can. And then also, uh, you know, like us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube, and that way you guys are keeping it up to date on everything that's going on. New podcast, you know, Sam's got his uh, stuff with the Shining Light podcast and Wit podcast, which hopefully we'll have some more episodes coming up soon because I know that that's been really interesting as following you guys talking about philosophy and things like that. But yeah, we've got a lot of fun things rolling out, you know, coming up, coming down the road. So make sure you guys are doing that as well. So, but yeah, again, Sam, thanks so much for coming on. I, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you for having me, Jeff. It's it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org.